Uncharted, Roll Camera, and Horizon Forbidden West. This is staying in. Too high, so I go me 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 me. No, I'm right. I want to be up here, please. Okay, here we go. Pete can do falsetto, so Pete's Pete's pretty good. Okay, okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. I closed my eyes there, so I could I could imagine what it was like to be kind of a listener, um, and it's it's like one of those like wave patterns where like every now and again like the 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 notes intertwine and yeah. then very quickly they leave each other again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it just kind of yeah, it's it's very inconsistent speed pitch, but a few moments, it's just beautiful. Thank you for that. How how was your day, Daniel? I had a lovely day. I had a lovely day. I was uh, spoiled rotten. Uh, I have, we had some family rounds, had some nice food, uh, had some lovely presents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just yeah, it's been a it's been a lovely day. I've I've got this week off, so I thought I'd treat myself to a birthday week. I'm going to take my little boy to the cinema for the first time tomorrow. Uh, uh, oh, we're going to go on? see a, a double bill of oh. Superworm and Zog. I looked everywhere to see if Encanto was on the cinema, um, but alas, it is not because um, that would have been a winner. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I thought I'd take him to the to the cinema get him get him hooked uh with something that he kind of already knows anyway so dan you'll you'll be able to do you'll be able to buy the um those uh those family deals at the cinema with a young one with a young one in tow we'll see i will be getting a small popcorn and he can have one or two if he likes one small or two. Popcorn. <laughs> you can have a one small... or two one at the start a... one at the end yeah. and one in the middle sorry hold on hold on I, I don't i don't think we can let that slide a small popcorn I only get small, ever get small. I always get the smallest possible one. Firstly, small at a cinema in no way means it's small, because it's not. Yeah, Dan's right. Also, the the, the, the film, in inverted commas, because it's just two 30-minute things, is an hour long, so I don't need like a, a full two hours worth of popcorn. I always go large, regardless of the I mean, that's basically film. you need another seat for a large. Yeah, you do. I went. I went to the cinema with my parents-in-law once. We went to go and see Murder on the Orient Express. Fun, good film to go and see with the in-laws. They hadn't been to the cinema in, in a long time, so they went. And I just said to them, "Just get a medium popcorn, medium drink." Yeah. But my my parents-in-law, they're just like, "Yeah, but you can upgrade to large for just thirty p." And I was like, <laughs> "No." And I was just like, "Okay." go and do it and then and i literally turned around to find my father-in-law <laughs> holding a liter and a half of coke and this and this massive like no. within the first 10 minutes he was like i need to go to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> and they both walked out with pretty much a whole popcorn between them because they just hadn't they just made no dent in the popcorn it was great that's amazing let's go and see uh who's the lad who did king kong Peter, Peter Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Do you know he did um <laughs> you know he did some restoration of like World War One footage? Yeah. Yeah, we talked yeah. about it on this show. Yeah. Did I tell you that there was a there was a did I tell you that like I got there with my a, a friend of mine, we sat down. <laughs> this pair behind us were just scoffing minstrels and popcorn <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I'm just like, this is worse. Like, 
I got so close to being, you know, um, uh, disgruntled of Tunbridge Wells. I, I got so close to turning around and saying something. Like, I actually turned to, I turned to the guy who was with me. I said, shall I say something? Shall I say something about this? Because this feels really, this feels not good. Like, if this was the Care Bears movie, fine, have a popcorn. If this is like some, like, I don't know, Jaws, what are we on, four, five? If whatever <laughs> what Jaws are we movie, on? <laughs> the continuing franchise that is Jaws. Right, or Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious, right? Fine, have your popcorn. But this is this is like expertly restored World War One footage showing the horrors of war, and you've got these people like, oh, I love sweet and salty. Or dossier decorum s. The thing is, if you did turn around and complain, they'd just go, well, they died for the freedom that I could do what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Peter, are you saying that the genre of the film d- determines what can be consumed? in the cinema when watching said film for sure for sure like first of all there is no genre of film in which it is acceptable to consume nachos during it that's they just haven't come up with a a genre that's a a derby power play basically (laughs) um yeah absolutely there's definitely some genres where it's you know if you have like a really nice you know really tense creepy thriller right like (laughs) where you're kind of on the edge of your seat all the time what you don't want is like Well, surely a film like that is your quintessential kind of traditional one to have popcorn in it. You have that that vision of people like having like the scares and the popcorn being thrown up in the air because they've made them jump and stuff like that. That's your kind of the the quintessential viewpoint of of a going to the cinema. Going to the cinema, you have popcorn, but maybe some like high end drama, right? Like with some thriller <laughs> where there's like proper high end drama. You don't want that. I'd accept a Magnum. Magnum's a good choice. So, the so, the silent snack. Yeah, basically, basically. The genre of the film dictates the sort of decibel level of the snack that is permissible within that genre. It, it's why they sell ice creams at the theatre. You don't get much rustly stuff at the theatre. It's all the, yeah. the silent snacks, like, you know, yeah. ham sandwich, pre-moistened crisps. They've got it going on. They're not giving out bowls of Rice Krispies, are they? Is, Pete, is there, a, is there a genre that it's impossible to eat anything? World War One restorative documentaries i mean that is a niche genre i would say documentary if it's a really serious subject right okay and then the flip side of that would be like a, a movie where you have to eat something a genre where <laughs> so what where, like an like, eat along yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. a marathon like, film if you watching are, lord yes, of the rings yeah. extended yeah, all yeah. the way yeah, through exactly you have where to you, chew like, along to it yeah like if you weren't if you weren't consuming something potatoes you'd be thinking, everyone like, get your potatoes out yeah exactly like you like a genre of film where you where like if you're sat there and you're not consuming you something you're sort of thinking i look like an idiot i've only ever taken in like smuggled in like maybe a can of coke and a bag of popcorn and a couple of bags of haribo like nothing mm-hmm. heavy like i have been in the cinema when people like some people have smuggled in a whole bucket of kfc chicken and like <laughs> they start like, lighting whole... candles and laying out a tablecloth <gasps> yeah i've been in the cinema where someone's walked in with like a bag of nando's and a big drink and <laughs> no <laughs> yeah yeah definitely like and i was just going to ask if you ever taken hot food like taken hot food in just not like bought a hot dog or a no I remember as a, I remember as a teenager. Of course, Chris is taking <laughs> Chris is yeah, taking hot food. Yeah, of course he School has. School trip, and <laughs> we we had some time to kill in the evening. We were staying somewhere. We went to see Austin Powers Goldmember, and I I distinctly remember cramming KFC popcorn chicken into my jeans pocket. Loose. 
be at loose. And I could feel it burning, singeing my... I had these really weird burns on the top of my thighs. (laughs) (laughs) Worth it, though. (laughs) Worth it. Worth it. I don't... It's worth it. Sure, sure. I've got third degree burns, but it is that secret blend of herbs and spices. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, so this is Uncharted, which is, uh, for those who aren't aware, um, a film adaptation that has been in development hell Mm -hmm. for like well over a decade or so. Yeah, probably. Lots of different names being banded around in terms of who would be in this film. Hmm. Probably one of my favourites was Joe Pesci was rumoured to be Sully (laughs) at one point, which made a very different film. (laughs) Brilliant. David O. Russell was attached at one point to be a director. There was like fans asking for Nathan Fillion to take on the role because in many people's heads he is Nathan Drake and you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had that short fan film which had him as Nathan Drake. Tom Holland in a recent interview made the joke that at one point Mark Wahlberg was in place to play Nate, but it took so long to make the film he aged up appropriately <laughs> so he could play Sully. Well, <laughs> no, I, I saw something similar, Sam. Actually, I think it was yeah. the idea that he would be Drake and Joe Pesci would be like Sully. Can you imagine that? Well, yeah, so it's 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 quite interesting because like the whole everything going into this film makes you worry about what the quality is like especially as i got a free ticket from sony to go and see this film so if yeah. you bought the or if you pre-ordered the uncharted legacy of thieves collection is that what it's called which is basically mm. the ps5 version of uncharted 4 and the lost legacy if you pre-ordered that or bought the 10 quid upgrade basically sony gave you a free ticket to go and see uncharted um, Which kind of confused me because I'm like the the people who you kind of need to attract aren't the people who are buying the game. They're going to go and see the film anyway. Though surely those yeah. are not the people who you need to encourage. It's the people who aren't buying the game that you need to kind of well, get on well, board. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's like I got the free ticket, but I didn't really fancy going on my own. So then Chris came with me, so he bought a ticket. So it kind of does like the people who are going to see it anyway. They get the the free ticket and they encourage other people. Like, it's a bit like that word of mouth thing, like getting bums on seats and especially with maybe some COVID apprehension, it kind of mm. guaranteed, you know, a few people in the, in the cinema. I think it's not also about Uncharted. It is also about this is the launch for PlayStation Productions, which mm. is like the film company. And you get that incredible kind of logo at the beginning, which is really kind of reminiscent of the Marvel one and what DC yeah, is yeah. doing where... And you know, and and it's it's worth saying that down the line, other projects I think include Ghost of Tsushima. They're doing a film version of that, and oh. rumored as well is Jack and Daxter. Yes, and uh, there's also the Last of Us TV series, which is dropping next year as well, which is also part of this. I think a Twisted Metal as well TV series. Twisted so, Metal TV series. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's so sad. bizarre. So like this is as much launch for that as it is um, the film itself. And for those who aren't aware of Uncharted, it is. Oh, We've spoken about this at length. It's like some of our favorite games of all time. We did a top hundred ages ago. Yeah, it is. It's just it's it's the most intensely replayable. It's like romancing the stone. It's it's a globe it's a globe trotting treasure hunt of wisecracking of what over subsequent games became about character relationships as well. Mm -hmm. More and more, it's about treasure hunting. It's about solving puzzles. It's about action. Uh, It's about incredible set pieces. The film is about none of that. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, the, the issue joke. is it's... ultimately 
when you've got a video game adaptation the issue is you know i'm used to playing an uncharted watching uncharted for like eight to 15 hours yeah Mm -hmm. and then i'm watching a film which is remarkably obviously shorter than that just under two hours this film is at and there are those similar touchstones there there are certain familiar set pieces that echo some of the stuff in the games Mm -hmm. it begins with one of the flashbacks in Uncharted 4, where it's about the relationship between Nathan Drake, who is an orphan, and his younger brother, oh, his older brother, sorry, in a foster home. And that's borrowed from number four, say, for example. And they they separated at a very young age from each other. Tom Holland plays Nathan Drake. He grows up. He's a bartender, but he's also pickpocketing customers that come into this fancy bar. And it's through that pickpocketing that he becomes acquainted with Mark Wahlberg's character, Sully who takes him on as a as a partner on a, a project he's doing uh, to essentially steal a, a golden cross, an artifact, which is a bit of a MacGuffin, which is it's essentially part of a, a puzzle to find this lost treasure, uh, which came from, uh, I think it was the Magellan expedition. Yeah, which is where, also a um, reference to four. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There is that kind of, there's very much that kind of, yeah, those touchstones and particularly for the set piece in four as well, the final mm-hmm. finale. So what you have then is them pitted against Antonio Banderas's very forgettable villain or antagonist, who's this rich Spanish businessman who is a descendant of the family who sent off Magellan to get this treasure. And he feels like, right, come on, I need to get this treasure back. My family's owed this. So it's about these two men and a third person they meet who's Chloe, who's based on Chloe from the Uncharted games. Though them free against the might of this businessman and this mercen- these group of mercenaries they've taken on. It sounds like a very typical Uncharted game, doesn't yeah, it, really? it's pretty much Uncharted, um, yeah. Action set pieces galore. There's a lot to like. Um, I a like lot. the characters. Mm-hmm. There is a lot to like. There is an issue that the trailer is exactly the film, pretty much. It, I, everything that happened was what I expected would happen. And that's not me saying I know where this plot's going. It's because it's, I've, I've played a lot of Uncharted games and Uncharted does, you know, particularly the first three, they do tend to follow a, a template yeah. per se, which I love. And, I, you know, I don't mind seeing more of that. But in a film, it's slightly different where you have that lack of agency. Tom Holland's good in the role. I love the dynamic between him and Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. It's very reminiscent of him and Robert Downey Jr. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So those touchstones I quite like. I don't know if I quite want... I know we spoke about this, Sam. I don't know if I really wanted to see an origin story for Nathan Drake. It's, it's the, it's, I think it's the biggest misstep that the film makes. And I think that Sony kind of hamstrung themselves a little bit with casting of Tom Holland, that it is an origin movie. And I feel like Hollywood in general and cinema is just so obsessed with like the origins of things. Mm. So we also watched The King's Man at the weekend, which is an origin story of how the Kingsman came around. That's a weird film. Which was a which was a weird film, which actually made me wish I was just watching Uncharted instead, actually. And I've heard that in the latest Poirot movie, Death on the Nile, there's an origin story to Poirot's moustache, which feels like that's no one ever asked for an origin story that's, that's for a mustache. That's not explored at all in that book. That is, <laughs> like, unsurprisingly, Agatha Christie, an incredible writer, thought, hmm, shall I focus on an incredible murder mystery where there's where there's <laughs> thrilling intrigue at every turn? Or shall we figure out what, what sort of facial Emotional trauma led to a man to grow a mustache. 
gods. But um, it's, like, it's, it's not like Agatha Christie's got like those Tolkien appendices at the end of the final <laughs> book, which is just... <laughs> yeah, if you want to, you can read about the moustache, but you don't have yeah. to. Yeah, so Tom Holland's involvement is goes right back to Spider-Man Homecoming because he was playing Uncharted 4 on the set of Spider-Man Homecoming. And he was like, someone should make a movie of this, which is what everyone says whenever they play Uncharted for the first time. And at the time, Ryan Reynolds was um, was going to be Nathan Drake and he approached Sony because obviously he's making a Sony film and Uncharted is Sony property. And they were like, no, 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 we've got, we've got all the casting sorted. Don't worry, Tom. See you later. So he sort of put it to the back of his mind. And then he pitched an idea to Sony that he had about a young James Bond movie and like the origins of how James Bond came to be. I don't really understand how a young James Bond movie works because most of the stuff he does is very adult. Um... James Bond. <laughs> James Bond Jr. Again, we don't need to know. That's part <laughs> no. of the fun. And I like and I and and so obviously it was it I think it was that pitch to Sony about an origin to James Bond which which I think has put the idea in the mind that this first Uncharted film could be an origin movie and therefore you can put Tom Holland in it. But then I don't really understand because Tom Holland is like 25, 26, maybe 24 at youngest. And Nathan Drake in Uncharted 1 is probably about the same age. So it could have been totally done, you know, in media res that I, I don't think they needed to be an origin story. And Nathan and Sully are at their most interesting as characters when they're not bickering about if they trust each other all the time. And, you know, they've built up a history and a repartee and a, and a knowledge and a way of working, which is fun to be a part of. But it wasn't until, like, the end moments of Uncharted or the post credit sting that I was like, yeah, I'd love, to watch a, I'd love to watch a movie with these two characters now because we've got over that, oh, but you're going to double cross, oh, do you trust me? Oh, I've stolen this, don't you trust me? And like um, amongst all the the great set pieces and you know all the all the sort of razzmatazz and the thrill of seeing Uncharted on the screen and it being done with quite a lot of practical effects and attention to detail and little nods and little touches here and there. Like I'm really glad it's done really well. Like it's done really well at the box office. Like I, hmm. I think it's definitely going to get a sequel. And I think the sequel will be really good. I think I think now they've got over that initial sort of misstep that I think the the sequel I'm, I'd be really looking forward to because I could spend a lot more time with Tom and Tom and Mark. Well, Pete, you nearly made it. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Long time listeners will, of course, remember the time that I got snowed in when I went to go and see, when I tried to go and see Sam. Yeah. Because... This weekend just passed. We we'd had it planned, didn't we, Sam? We had it planned. We've had it planned since the end of last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Richmond mm -hmm. sausages, Richmond bacon, eggs. I bought so much bacon. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So so delicious vegetarian bacon, delicious and, and amazing, mm -hmm. amazing card games. We were going to play. We we're going to really nerd we out were. collectible card games, weren't we? We're gonna, it was going to be a great time. And then, of course, the powers in the universe decided that no, once again. Once, my travel, once again, once again, my travel arrangements would be thwarted by Storm. Now, which one was it? Eunice. Yeah, Eunice. 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 Yeah, Storm Eunice. Which 
if you're outside of the UK, might not have had Storm Eunice. It wasn't very good. Um, basically, Storm Eunice came along, which was a big storm, and it meant that people like me uh, tried to travel to places, and then uh, was I was sat on a train, and then trying to get to Birmingham, anywhere, which would then connect me to <laughs> the next place, the north, up to the yeah. north, um, and uh, then basically uh, we got to Gloucester. And the train just sort of stopped, and uh, sort of sat there on the sat there on you know in the train waiting around. Oh, I wonder what's happening. And uh, get this bing bong. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your journey so far. Unfortunately, uh, there will be a slight delay to this service as there is a roof on the track. <laughs> um, now, I thought to myself because because as soon as as soon as I heard the bing bong, I thought, here we go wrong kind of snow leaves on the track you know that classic <laughs> that quintessential british, yeah, british excuse slope, of yeah, we yeah. can't really be bothered to make the trains run on time <laughs> but no there was a roof on the train that tra- uh, train track so so they said so what we're going to do is we're going to pull into cheltenham uh if you could disembark from the train and then continue your onward journey i was like yeah cool that sounds great got out of cheltenham and as soon as as soon as the train went away uh there was an announcement saying all trains have been cancelled in and out of the station uh, <laughs> for the rest of the day. And uh, I was like, oh, that's not good. So I never got to come and see you, which was a real, real bummer, basically. Can I just take a, a quick poll of the room of, of something that happened before the, the storm? Just, I just, I just kind of want to get the, the opinions of Chris and Dan about this. Because before you started, to, you, before, the day before you were going to travel up, you, you gave me a call and we, we spoke about what your travel arrangements have been because you'd yet to buy buy a ticket to travel correct and you said to me you said right the day before the day before i was going to travel just just in case you know one of us had got covid or whatever yeah, yeah lots of covid flying around yeah fair enough so you rang and you said right this storm is set to hit between 7 and 12 o'clock when shall i come up i'm thinking after 12 o'clock so i said to pete that doesn't really make sense because if the storm hits, then all the disruption is going to be after the storm. So it's not like it's going to blow through and clear everything away. <laughs> you might get out <laughs> ahead of the damage. So I dare to suggest to Pete, well, surely the most sensible thing to do is come up before the storm hits. So get a train at like five, six in the morning. Five or six in the morning. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and then mm. you'll, you'll, the storm will be behind you and hopefully you know, you'll get here before it even lands yeah apparently that was a complete (laughs) no go i would say i understand sam's idea if that had been posed to me i also likely would have looked aghast at my phone as you had suggested that that i would that i would leave oh because that is that to me does feel extremely kind of early and would kind of affect the day so i i would understand if pete's reticence now Leaving be on a seven be or eight on a train at five. Not 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 get up at five. Be <laughs> on a train <laughs> at five. I'm, yeah, I'm 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 on your side, Pete. I'm on your side. Yeah, I, no, I, mean, I, I think are. I think Sam was expecting other people to yeah. be on his side, yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah. you, Pete. Because I'm I'm expecting people just to be reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So just, am yeah, I. Of course. That was a my little point. bit of sac- <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a sacrifice, a little bit of my sleep to go and see a friend. A little bit of my sleep! 
a little, just a little bit. I mean, you need to be there at five. I mean, just to be clear, Sam, you have to be dressed and washed, right? So, so you, you have to have got to the train station. My train, I don't live right next to the train station, so there's a there's a, there's a delay. So I'd have to be up at what <laughs> three? Oh, just to yep. just sacrifice a little bit of sleep. I would. I'm, but I'm, it depends also if you're a morning person. I am a morning person, so I and also I'm one of those people that if I need to be at the airport two hours before you know take off you know to check in i will be there two yep. hours before just yep. err on the side of caution so yep. i would have probably taken the early train just to mm. yeah err on the side of caution and then kind of rub my hands with glee that i made it through yeah and that uh, the parallel universe chris who left a little bit later yeah. somewhere else trapped it's, in the uk stuck in Cheltenham. yeah <laughs> Cheltenham's a lovely place by the way uh, I, don't, I don't don't want to offend any listeners in Cheltenham. Uh, you've got a lovely town, but I tell you what, it's a bit it's a bit depressing to be in when there's nothing going. <laughs> when in you're not meant to be there, yeah, yeah. When you're not meant to be there, we had a a, a sort of stand-in weekend. Uh, minus Pete, we always knew Dan. Dan, of course, Dan was invited, but he couldn't make it. I, mean, I realised we've gone this length without explaining that Dan was also invited. Yeah, yeah, this isn't yeah. the first I'm hearing of it. <laughs> well, didn't get rude. Boy. So Chris and I still had a lovely weekend together. We did most of the things that I had planned with, um, that I planned to do with Pete. We didn't play Flesh and Blood. We didn't play Pokemon. As a mark of respect, know, wasn't that you know. the entirety of your plans? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and to go to a beer shop and buy beer, which we did do. We went to Beer Moth in Manchester, and it was exemplary. I think my favourite thing was Chris carrying that bag back to the car at fear that it would break so two-handing it uh, in the pouring rain in manchester because obviously we're still do- dealing with the storm at this point yeah of course yeah um, six bottles of beer inside it in a, in a carrier bag that <laughs> felt like it was made out of cling film because <laughs> nothing was going to stop us going to visit the um the wonderful geek shops that manchester provides but yeah we had a good a, a great weekend you know we we watched the king's man didn't we chris we watched the first episode of reacher on prime video which um, I've watched the next two episodes after it now, and it's actually really good. Do you know, Sam, there they, they came a point when I was uh, showering at yours because Pete <laughs> started this tradition where we don't take shampoo of us to each other's places. We just use the shampoo that's there. Yeah. Oh, so that's what happened and to so, yeah, I so always bring I shampoo. Was, uh, well, well, I didn't realise this was a tradition. <laughs> it's a tradition for I, me and Chris. Yeah, Maybe we, we yeah. didn't give you the memo. Um, but I was around at your Sam, and I was reading around at the base of like all these various bottles you've got. I think. Oh, did you use? Did you use colourful. my wife's purple shampoo? Nearly did. No, but I nearly <laughs> used something worse. There was a, a white bottle at the bottom. I thought oh, that looks like the Aussie one, you know, because I, you know, for my hair, I remember using it at uni. Got it out, went to put some on my hands, and I looked. Oh, hang on, there's a golden retriever on the label of this. <laughs> <laughs> nearly used his dog shampoo. I would have walked out of a really glossy coat. <laughs> Now, did you, because you sent me before I was about to head up, um, you sent me a picture, or actually while I was heading up, as a sort of conciliatory prize. <laughs> I, sent felt me a photo ba- I felt you. bad doing it, but I thought you'd like to be involved. Which yeah, is well, it was thanks for thinking of me. You sent me a picture of you saying, oh, well, and sort of like we're standing next to a picture of, standing next to you holding a copy of Horizon something something, whatever it's called. Forbidden, Horizon, Forbidden, Forbidden West. West. Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you manage to actually get to play that? Absolutely. I woke up at the crack of dawn whilst Chris was around. <laughs> because <laughs> cause, cause usually I'm, we're always the ones up last and Chris is up, 
Chris is up first. But Horizon turned up on the 18th, like it said it would. And because I was saving money by getting the PS4 version, because the PS5 upgrade is free, I slapped it in and it goes, and it comes with like a data disc. At least the PS4 version does. I don't know if the PS5 version does. But it comes with a data disc. And when you put the data disc in, at that point, you can go to the store and just go, beep, beep, boop, I want the PlayStation 5 version. And it's like, great, 95 gigabytes. And you're like, good one. I'll oh, see you in no. six to eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> so for the first day, it kind of just sat there downloading um, whilst me and Chris were doing other stuff. And then in the morning, you get that little notification on your PS, PS app that says, Horizon Forbidden West is now ready to play. So I was up at like seven o'clock in the morning and played for a couple of hours before Chris Chris woke up. And I mean, I've probably put about five or six hours into it at the moment. And you know what? It's more Horizon so far. But it's still a very, very interesting concept to be in an open world, which is, tends to be an environment where you spend many, many hours in exploring, 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 ramping up until you're pretty much you've seen it all, been everywhere, helped everyone. I mean, Aloy is literally called like the savior of of the land. Like you are pretty much, you know, there's statues built now to Aloy as you as you're wandering around. Like she saved the earth, and like it's really really interesting now being back in that world and for the storyline not to be like a fall from grace and her building herself back up again. Like she literally like wanders through this new area of the map as she's heading out to the forbidden west and everyone's just like oh my god it's the savior it's you know you you saved us all this is fantastic and they make very sort of short reference to why you don't have as much kit as you did when you finished the game and actually kind of makes sense that she's been going out traveling trying to deal with the after effects the the after effects of when she killed hades or thought she'd killed hades and therefore like she has lost some of her kit on the way and what i really appreciate is that there's no like real like effort to get that kit back you just kind of bump into the people and they're just like you're the savior i've made this for you and they're just like here's another bit of kit and with the first like five or six hours i'm already like have got the gear the same sort of gear i had about after about probably like 12 hours playing playing the first game and so far the environment is very much like it was in the first game you're in a different area but the environment itself is 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 very much the same but i think that i expect it's going to change and become something very very different in the next in the next few hours but i'm still really really enjoying it yeah i've uh i've been fortunate enough to get a copy so i got a copy for my birthday uh so Ooh. kind of time of recording that was yesterday so i've not had a lot of time to play it. I put about two hours into it. I did a bit of time yesterday, I did a bit of time today. And kind of the, the, the points that kind of Sam makes absolutely right. It does feel a lot like Horizon Zero Dawn. I think, Sam, you did this previously, and I think I'm going to do it. It's just kind of, I need to kind of, even though the opening of the game does recap kind of storyline, I think I need to go mm-hmm. back and, because yeah. there's a lot of storyline that I've just, it was quite, it was a long time ago that I played it, and it's quite a complex storyline. Yep. So I need to kind of go back and revisit that. I mean, it, it, it looks as you would expect kind of beautiful obviously that i mean the last game did anyway and it, it just the the landscapes and the vistas that you you kind of you come across every time i kind of leave the room and come back like within like 10 seconds i see something else that i'm like oh my god that is kind of the way the sun's shining through and stuff like that obviously I've, i'm playing some ps5 but yeah it's it's kind of it it is more the same but it's it's just kind of that 
a very easy learning curve to get you back in the swing of things. I actually kind of forgotten a lot about how it played. I'd forgotten how, I mean, mm. funny we talked about it earlier in the episode, it's how much like Uncharted it is. It is Uncharted in a kind of dystopian future. It's a lot of climbing and jumping and looking around and solving things and all that jazz. Um, there's there are, there are new kind of mechanics introduced, um, one of which Chris would be very, very excited by. Um, he knows, yeah. The yeah, grappling hook. The grappling there. hook, which for Chris makes every game um, a, a top ten oh, game. Definitely, every um, game's improved by it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it is it is so far. I've got no complaints. But as kind of, I'm also at the point that Sam, you're mentioning, I'm at a point of like, okay, this feels just like I'm in a tutorial. This feels like I'm in a setup. This doesn't feel like the game it's going to become. I'm waiting for that point where something happens and suddenly it's like boom, and we're off. Yeah, even but even when that epilogue ends and you get to kind of the actual start of the game which is pretty which is pretty obvious which is actually a beautiful start like I, I really felt it was really impactful like even then it kind of feels like I think this still feels a lot like the first game and I kind of want to reiterate that it's not necessarily a bad thing because it means that I can sort of concentrate on Aloy and where she is at now like everyone's super pissed off at her because basically she saved the world and then like just disappeared and i find that really interesting like she just doesn't want any attention on her at all and doesn't want any of the praise just wants to carry on like living trying to live this like virtuous life and i think it's it's very unwelcoming the game to anyone who may have not who wouldn't have played the first one before i think you'd be completely lost and uh, the, the mechanics come at you really thick and fast like it it like in the first game it goes through lots of pains to be like right here is a machine these are weak points you knock these bits off you learn about them you know you do all this kind of stuff and in that epilogue bit like in that in that prologue bit it's kind of like yeah we kind of assume that you know what you're doing there's a little bit of a tutorial but yeah just you know these are weak points hit them jobs are good and you remember don't you see you later so i'm i'm still just waiting for the real game to kick in but as dan said it looks glorious the the environments are denser and more interesting than they were in zero dawn like handholds and things are a lot more hidden and you have to really go out of your way to find to really find ways around certain puzzles and in certain buildings which i which i really appreciate it really brings the world to life and like also the character animations and the acting in it has really stepped up a notch like there's that famous meme with in horizon zero dawn that guy who's going to who's, who's trying to commit suicide and like it's just really 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 badly acted and here it's just like they've really stepped up their game like all the characters feel fully fleshed out and the dialogue just just crisp and fantastic and just the whole bit of the world is just just absolutely like has, has come to life on the ps5 in this version it's it's great but other than horizon which i did force chris to play watch me play watch me play sit open open your eyes um we also played what else did we play we also played uh, a game called high score which um getting busy with the knizzy getting busy with the knizzy once again thanks thanks to cosmos for sending this to us actually and high score is actually a game that when we go to aircon which is only a couple of weeks away actually which is one game i'm going to bring with me because i think it's just going to be great for those bigger bigger groups 
like I think we would all really love it around this table because it lets you do something which usually you don't let yourself do well I don't let myself do which is gamble and I quite like I quite like games that let me gamble in a safe space because I'm very very reckless and irresponsible so I need kind of like a nice little safe space and to gamble in so this is a high score is like a push your luck dice game so you have your normal six-sided dice you have seven of them you have one to five around the edge but then the instead of a six is like this vortex it's like swirly little um symbol and then you have these deck of cards there's over like 20 of them or so maybe 20 or 30 cards and you shuffle them you deal seven off the deck and then put all the rest of the cards back in the box and then that's it the game begins and you basically flip over the top card and on that card it tells you what the current rules and conditions for how scoring is going to work for this round of high score so the scoring could be something like it'll have a little picture of the vortex symbol and if you roll that it's plus 10 points for this round and the card will also say stuff like how many times you can re-roll certain dice and how many how many of the dice you can re-roll and if you can re-roll any of the dice at all and then as well as like what the vortex is worth and like how many times you can re-roll there's another bit of the card which tells you what the actual scoring conditions are so it might just be like the total value of all the dice is what scores or it might be something a bit more complicated than that so it might be something like only the dice that add up to 10 will score everything else is minus from your total score or it might be only the dice that are at least in a group of two or more will score or only even dice or only odd dice will score so once you've sort of set the conditions and everyone sort of understands then one person rolls and they roll to get the highest score and then that's it their turn over and then the next player tries to beat that previous score and it goes around the table until someone gets the highest score and then you award points out to the rest of the group depending on where they came like first second or third then you do that you just repeat that into all the seven rounds until you get see who basically got the most medals at the end and me and chris were like giggling idiots basically playing this game oh yes you know it's such a good game and it the last time i had a sensation like that was with another rani knitzia dice game and that was when we went for your pre-stag in frankfurt and we played mm-hmm. Risk Express. Express. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's the 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 simplest of you know concepts, but typical Knizzy. Like he just makes the simplest things really pop and seem interesting. And that that idea of like turning over the card and like trying to get your head around like what's going to score you the best and what's the the conditions actually are. And I think when we when we're playing it with more people, that feeling of you know, watching the scores develop and the high scores being plotted around this little track that you get, and then it comes to your turn, you're just like, right, I'm really going to push it. Like, I can, I think I can, I think I can beat Chris's score. I think all I need to do is roll a two, and then I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going to be. And and even like the turns before someone else takes a turn, it's kind of like, well, how much can I push this? I've got twenty points, and I feel that that's kind of like all right. But once my turn is over, I don't get another go. So um, yeah, high score was really good, and that's coming to that's coming to Aircon. That's coming to Aircon with me, as well as Cosmic Encounter, because I'm going to force you all to play it because that's what I do on my birthday. Yay! Um, <laughs> I get one free game, and that's the game I always pick. 
as my kind of like birthday game. Uh, what else? What else do we play, Chris? Should we speak about Almadi uh, by Mathieu Bossu and Francois Gandon? Um, this is from Funny Fox, but kindly sent to us from Hachette. You can tell I've had a lot of stuff waiting in the wings for people to come and visit. <laughs> Almadi was is like this tile laying game, and basically each player um, is tasked with like building this realm in front of them by laying tiles. And they have a board in front of them, which is separated into like four different rows. So what you do is you have a... um, So what you do is on your turn, you'll take a tile from this central marketplace, which also has four different rows. So if you take a tile from row one on the market, you've got to put it in row one on on your board to build this tile. Does that make sense? Yeah. And essentially you're like building out this this realm so you're building like palaces you're building like oases and uh, marketplaces and you're building like caravans the camel kind not the holiday in britain kind and it's kind of like it's kind of like the typical um tile laying game a bit like not very much but a bit like carcassonne in the terms of like you get points for how much you can associate the right things next to other tiles so for example if you get lots of oases next to each other they'll score more than if they're all separately apart and if you get like palaces next to marketplaces they will score more than if they're if they're separate and lots of different things like that but really i think what me and chris found most compelling about almadi is you'll notice when you see the tiles that on the edge of each tile, it's either got an arrow pointing outwards out to each edge, or it's got a symbol. And what happens is when you place that tile into your tableau, into this realm that you're making, if the arrow is pointing to the symbol on another tile that's orthogonally next to it, that symbol then that that, that will then activate that symbol which is like a a special power you can use and it works vice versa as well so if you put your tile in and there's an arrow and it points to a symbol on the tile that you just put in you get to activate that power as well and these powers do things like allow you to buy stuff markets they allow you to move tiles around in your tableau they allow you to like pick up these objective cards and it was such an interesting like the tile laying itself was was interesting in terms of making sure you're grouping things together and putting things in the right way but then there's also this other little thing where it's just like but if i move if i pick up that tile and put it here it means i can activate this ability and i can do this and maybe i can move this tile to activate that ability which allows me to and it was all this like this like domino effect of mm. ever increasing complexity which um yeah, yeah it was interesting I really you're almost building a little engine, aren't you? There, it reminded yes. me a little bit of Wingspan, where when you do an action, you activate the powers, the brown powers in that row, and and some birds, it does, you know, you move them from one row to another. But it's about yeah. creating a little engine in there that that, and I I don't think I actually fully appreciated that because you get these no. objective cards as well, and a lot of them are around. Okay, if you've got caravans arranged in this diagonal pattern you'll score these points at the end so i went in for that and actually what i did was that that's the equivalent of me going putting all my chips on this because actually then what that did was it took me away from scoring 
what big in other areas you know if that particular thing is juxtaposed with this particular structure say for example but at least knowing i can move stuff around mm-hmm. stops you feeling a bit too frustrated that well there's no point yeah. i'm not going to get that objective it's set in stone now and and at and suddenly realizing, oh my gosh, yeah, I put that there because I thought it'd be useful for here. But actually, I just realized I've actually activated this as well. Oh my word, where's this going to take me? Mm. Boom, 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 boom. That's very, very satisfying. I think tile laying is becoming my new favorite genre. I think roll and writes are slowly being pushed out. And I'm finding, I think since we played A Gentle Rain, I've become more and more sort of enamored with that puzzle of picking up something and thinking about exactly how best to utilize it within a space. I'm really excited to possibly going to try and get a copy of Cascadia at some point. But Almadi is certainly scratching that itch in the time being. But, Chris, but these are all little amuse-bouches. That's right. Is your palette wet? Well, I can tell you about a game which is certainly one of the most interesting that i played in a long, long time, and that might sound slightly hyperbolic, but let me explain Roll Camera, which... Oh, my word. So this is a game that's designed and drawn by one person, Malachi Ray Rempen, who does some web comics under Keen Bean Studios, the Keen Bean web, web comics, which you might, you might recognise. And this first came to my mind, to my attention, when I saw it in, the, in Senate's Top 10 Games of 2021. And they described it as something... They described it as... A game where you're a failing Hollywood studio and you've got one last chance to make a hit. And I was like, that sounds like a theme I have never encountered before in a board in the board game genre. So I was immediately hooked. I immediately wanted to find out more about Roll Camera. And luckily, Keen Bean Studios were kind enough to send us a, a copy. And so, as I said, the, the, the premise of this game is... You're a failing movie studio. You've got one chance, one last chance to make a big sort of hit Hollywood movie. And sometimes when we speak about board games, we speak about theme and we speak about, oh, you know, this is set in a science fiction, you know, thing or, you know, this is a a fantasy theme or this has got the theme of you're like, you're all spies working underground. And some of them can be quite, feel quite thin or pasted on. Some of them can feel like, like after the facts um, and not really well implemented with roll camera if anyone ever asks me like what is the most thematic game i'm going to point them to roll camera and say Mm. i think this has got not only one of the best themes but it's one of the most well implemented like themes to mechanics games that i have ever played and i I think i think it's it's pretty incredible how it achieves what it does so it's first of all it's completely cooperative and each player takes on a certain role and these are like filmmaking roles obviously so there'll be like a director director of photography um an editor maybe someone will be the star that you know the talent of the movie and how the game works is that you roll these custom dice that instead of numbers have images on them so you might roll a dice that comes up with like a camera or an actor makeup or a big explosion represents like vfx and graphics and you'll put those on different spaces on the board to activate different different things and progress through the game. And the aim of the game is is to is to basically film five scenes and create a film that has a certain level of quality, which is basically a film that isn't mediocre. Okay. 
sounds you know sounds pretty good isn't that what all hollywood films are attaining for at the end of the day five great scenes and it isn't mediocre bit like uncharted so (laughs) so the game starts with you basically developing a script which is drawn at random and the script basically you draw at random like a top half of the script and the bottom half of the script and it will create like some sort of whimsical title like the last grandma or the horror at the dog pound or whatever sure and essentially what that script is doing is giving you your end scoring conditions so for example if your script is like a comedy horror hybrid then if you can film scenes that are comedic and horror themed you'll get more points at the end of the game basically your film is of better quality so you'll be able to move up of that quality track which the moment i was sort of setting this up for the first time that's when that theme starts ringing in my head because of course that's what a good movie is a good movie is something that really reflects the original intentions of the of the script if the script is a comedy horror and i'm and i'm filming all these like dramatic scenes then of course it's not going to be a good quality film mm. so so below the script you then have these cascading deck of cards which represent the scenes that you'll be that, that you can choose to film and it and they're all like basically like like little like storyboard sections and each one depicts the certain type of scene it is so like comedy horror drama or action and then it'll dep- depict on it a certain set design and arrangement of props and where to place the actors in terms to actually get that scene filmed. And even this, something that I thought was just going to be quite throwaway, is is really thematic and plays into it. So if you had, for example, say a scene where two characters in your in your film were punching each other, so in order to shoot the scene, you'd have to put dice down to replicate that pretty much one-to-one. So you'd have two actors and then separated by a block. Then you'd have the camera pretty much parallel to the actors. You'd have the lighting rig behind one of them. And then in between the two actors, you'd have the VFX like explosion. So even that little like tableau that you're creating recreates that scene of like two actors facing each other, big VFX explosion in the middle, and like the camera and the lighting placed in the right place to capture that that shot. Uh, but even before you've done all that, you have to build the sets. You, there's this like Tetris-style puzzle in order to make sure that the sets are arranged in order to accommodate all the like props and actors and lighting rigs that you're going to need to film the shots. There's problems that occur to sets. You can set up production meetings with the rest of the players that are playing around the board, which is essentially how you make events happen and how you sort of um, get sort of like one-time bonuses. And I think my final my final best touch for what how brilliant and how just outstanding this this game um applies its theme is so once you filmed your five scenes mm. and you have a have a movie of certain quality you win and it's quite natural to think that you know the better the quality the the better chance that you've got to win but you can also basically sabotage your film because another way to win is to film five scenes but have a film that's so bad it's good. <laughs> so the director has a special ability where they can get more money or more time to shoot this movie 
but sacrificing the quality of the movie. So it was at that point where I was just like, yeah, this is, you know, this is absolutely fantastic. Like I couldn't have applied. I couldn't have thought of a better, better theme for for a board game really in order to like do all this have all this interaction this dice placement game and just the fact that as a director right we're running out of money right we'll just yeah um right we'll take some money out of the budget but the quality is going to go down Mm. and you can basically sabotage this film like hiring cheaper actors or you're taking longer to shoot so the quality of the film's going down and but you've made a film that's so bad it's good so you still win the game and i think it's it's super clever really really smart i think firstly dan i think you'd love this hmm. genuinely like you being a big film buff i think you'd like this yes secondly absolutely. unlike i could imagine in the wrong hands this could be a very dry euro game it reminds you know like well i played the gallerist a few years ago and i think oh great i love art love art galleries brilliant and it, what i got was a very dry mm-hmm. re- relatively abstract economics game that kind of took took all the artistry out of it and just made it like some kind of Tory kind of depiction of <laughs> of that pretty much what this isn't that this is a very it, it plays quite quickly Sam I found it well the yeah. time flew by and because it's cooperative as well I I was playing the role of producers there's some variable player powers here as well I was a producer Sam you were you what, I can't remember who you were you were the lead I actor was, you? I think I was actress. the star so I had a power where basically I could change the script at any point if I wanted to so basically wielding star power to be like no I want to make some changes to the script like like that felt that also felt super you know on the on the on the button but it genuinely felt the stress of being a film crew a producer thinking right okay I cannot solve all these problems because I need to prioritize the set which problems can I let mm-hmm. just slide a little bit and which ones should I be focusing on now? And yeah. it it feels like a Kickstarter game. And what I love now is when I say it feels like a Kickstarter game, that's not to, to render it a disservice. That actually is to kind of show the quality of the components. So when you when you take those little storyboards, which look like they're hand drawn, when you when they, you lock that shot, you flip them over, and suddenly, whoa, we're in a scene. There's a line of dialogue there, and you're looking mm-hmm. forward to. Oh my word, this horror comedy we've made, the last grandma. These five random scenes can stitch together. What kind of a narrative is going to be made out of this? Oh, my word, it really is. This was such a surprise to me. I've seen it in a couple yeah. of top tens, but it's not, from what I can understand, it's not being talked about as much as it should be. Genuinely, no. I think this is such a such a good game. It is dripping with theme. Yeah. This should be in everyone's top ten most thematic board games, without a shadow of a doubt. And mm-hmm. just for the yeah. novelty of alone of what film we're going to make this time. I just wanted to do a shout out. So, um. I just want to say a big thank you to Damsky, Wise Goldfish, mm-hmm. and Matthew Dunstan. And the reason I'd like to shout those people out is those people have all sent in the last, I would say, few weeks absolutely lovely emails and messages to us via a, a variety mm. of different sources. Um, and it's always just really nice to get those things. I'm not going to read them out. I'm not going to read out their emails. I'm not going to read out their messages. I just want to say... Thanks very much, folks. That was really, really lovely to receive those messages. It does put a smile on your face. You're like, oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Somebody listens to us. Genuinely touching. We have yeah, three yeah, listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, there we are. A, little, a lovely little shout out. Listen, do you want to know what I got up to, Sam, while you were having your lovely weekend 
Oh, oh, I've played all my board games. Oh, I played all the hot new video games. I know what one thing you did get up to, because I thought, I know what, I bet Pete's at a bit of a loose end this weekend. I've got no, Chris had, Chris had buggered off, you know, go and spend some my time. My auntie's 60th. Yeah. So selfish, Chris. And, and so I was, I, my wife was away, my child was away, I was completely alone, thought, I know what I'll do, I'll text, I'll text Pete, see if he'd like to spend some time together, like we were meant to do. Yep. Text Pete. Well, I'm out having a few rums with some mates. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> I was like, hey, convenient. I was. And then, was and, then, and then he texts me at like quarter to midnight, saying, like, like a, like a, like a drunk lover, like, "Oh, you about? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. come back in." They're just yeah. like, "You up?" <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it, was a, it was. It was like a booty call, but for video games, right? It's that like, a, a boot up call. A, a call of booty call. <laughs> call of booty oh, call yes call of booty call we did it everybody um and i was like i'm in bed <laughs> winking winking smiley face so i decided okay i'm gonna play a nice short palette cleanser video game that's what i'm gonna do mm. and oh, i'm gonna game that i've been looking at so uh, this over the last six months i've been picking up a lot more super ridiculously cheap switch games where I've been like, I keep seeing these on the cheapy cheaps, and I'm like, some of these have got to be good. And I do mm, download. You think? I do download a few of them, and then I think I won't talk about these on the podcast because <laughs> they are. <laughs> no, I, I love looking at Pete's like list of games he plays on the Switch because it's mainly just like Championship Tennis. <laughs> it's like, it's like, why did you ever think that game it was, was going to be good? Or whatever it was, right? So, um, <laughs> and surprise, surprise, it wasn't very good. Um, so. But I picked up a game called Paratopic. Oh, on hang Switch. on, I've heard of this. That's mm. not that. Oh, that's not that recent as a game. It's is it? not that recent. Um, so the origi- I've played it. You've played it, have you? Oh, okay. Well, we can compare and contrast. So, um, <laughs> uh, so this was developed by Arbitrary Metric, uh, which I believe is a, a very small team, and it was then published later on. Uh, I believe. Two years later, on the Switch. So this came out in 2020 on the Switch. And that was published by a company called Baltoro Games. And the idea of Paratopic... Ah, how do I explain this game? So the thing that that dragged me towards it was... We've talked over the last couple of episodes about horror. And about Mm -hmm. weird stuff. And... Uh, trying to kind of create a sense of dread without resorting to something like Resident Evil 6's like you constantly die and therefore you don't feel like you're actually in, you're actually scared anymore, right? Um, yeah, bu- sure. Building up tension. And this looked like one of those games. So the aesthetic of it is really striking. It looks like a very late PS1 game, so wobbly textures and all. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, textures that are stretched across 3D models that are way too thin. There are human bodies in it whereby you'll see their face and it's very clearly like a f- it, like, it looks like, best way I can describe it is like perfect dark face, right? Like that yeah. kind of um, that kind of like um, like a few polygons that they've stretched over a photo of someone's face yeah. and it's like, that'll do. Like and the original this, Lara Croft. 
Exactly. Yeah, yes. that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like that 64 era, like PS1, 64 era kind of thing. And it's really deliberately made in that way. It's not like, oh, this just looks bad. No, like this is an aesthetic style that they have actually gone for. And it's a story-focused game. And the game that I think I can relate it to the most, and I've been sort of racking my brain about it. I saw a Rock, Paper, Shotgun article about it that made me go, oh, yeah, it's that. Um, it's 30 Flights of Loving, but it's a horror game, right? So it's like Jazz Punk or 30 Flights of Loving or any of those Rainbow yeah. games in which it's taking, you're, you're in first person. It's definitely a story-based game. You know, some people might call these sorts of things walking simulators, but it's it's got a bit more interactivity than that. You can shoot a gun. There you go. That's, you that's, can. That's put it above Dear Esther, hasn't it? Um, uh, put a grapple in front of it and I'm in. Um, you <laughs> That's can... the one thing Dear Esther was missing. Absolutely. <clears throat> An automatic shotgun. So, um, Dear Blaster. Um, so it's got that 30 Flights of Loving Jazz Punk-esque like cutting between sequences, right? So it's got that... Yeah, the, the jump cuts. The jump cut stuff. So it feels more cinematic in some ways. And I mean literally in the cinematic in the style of using jump cuts so that you don't have to watch a person walk across a room right like you don't have to just singularly cut keep one focused view of a person walking across the room and then they get to the thing and then they do the thing instead of that it just kind of cuts to the action right and that's quite disorientating in a video game and it uses it to that to that best effect and it's a it's a it's got choices so there are achievements funnily enough in the game you can go and see mm-hmm. lots of different parts of you can see certain things if you make certain choices. So, for example, you might choose a, a, a dialogue path um, that takes you off in a different direction. But I want to be clear, this game is like 45 minutes long, right? Um, so it's suitably cheap. It's less than a fiver. Um, and I got it on sale because I ripped that tight. It's 30 um, pence. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more than Super Tennis Champs or whatever the hell it was called. And I think the thing that I so I I loved it, and I I think that this is this is my kind of horror, and I kind of t- touched upon this last time we talked about like horror as a intellectual pursuit, video games as a as an intellectual pursuit, yeah, as a as mm-hmm. a oh this is there's something really smart going on. So this is a a lot of walking simulators often get criticised for having linear narratives, right? Not much in the way of choice, and this doesn't have much in the way of choice. It doesn't have much, you know, you're still kind of being led along a, a path, but it's not linear in, in quite that same way. It You play a number of different characters. It's not entirely clear how many. I think maybe two, maybe three. It's all played from first person. And they have different jobs to do in this very strange, oppressive, um, I would say, almost like a like a dystopian ex-Soviet state gone wrong in the 70s. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like really, really weird. Like there's kind of like dark filter to absolutely everything. Um, for it's this... kind of it's kind of like a, a a place where the where the control of information is very it, it, is is very like forefront of everyone's mind. What's that? The lives of others. That film. Oh, brilliant! Uh, which film. I think is set in is it set in Germany or is it set in Russia? It's um, yeah, it's again, about Stasi. That, yeah, yeah. So it's like that that. It feels like it's set sort of around in, the, in those kind of oppressions where, like, people would illegally like swap tapes with each other and contraband mm. and like anything that was sort of deemed Western or 
wasn't sanctioned by the government is is therefore harmful to to people and there's like there's discussions of like the border and of Mm. you needing to do jobs for people so you the the different jobs that you'll do different there is these different vignettes that you'll go through so for example at one point you'll be smuggling vhs tapes across the border right and you must not look at the vhs tapes there's something strange a bit about the vhs tapes we're not really 100 percent sure as to what that actually is it's hinted at but never quite confirmed as far as i can tell there's another bit where you're an assassin and you have to go and murder someone hence that gun that i talked about and uh <laughs> there's another bit when you're going out and you're doing photography in a forest and you're finding these strange spaces and everything feels unbelievably oppressed and it's got that it's got that akira yamaoka sensibility of using audio to make you feel really disturbed and mm. really uncomfortable it doesn't sound like a kiriyamaoka soundtrack it's not quite as heavy on the grating metal so there is a bunch of that it definitely isn't trying to rip off silent hill but it's it's got mm. something that makes you feel really tense and like it's just a horrible space to be in at times fogging everywhere that kind of uh uh you know really leans into that ps164 era uh, but also it means that you feel quite claustrophobic a lot of the time. And a lot of the space is about, a lot of the, the, the tension comes from being in spaces that either feel way, way, way too small and, and confined and kind of oppressive, or conversely, really open and really strange, like really, really kind of wide open and like you're in the, and it's just you, or is it? Um, and this kind of, storytelling is the kind of storytelling i like in video games i think sometimes we get fatigued when we play sequels when we see the ne- the, the the another third person action adventure another open world thing right like like and there's obviously room for those things like some of my favorite games are, are sequels but but i think for me a lot of the thrill i still get with video games is when i see something really novel and different and I go, oh, I've not experienced this before. And Paratopic certainly draws on, it's certainly got a lot to draw upon. It's certainly drawing upon some of the things I've talked about already, but it brings a lot of new stuff to it as well. There's moments of where you just don't feel, like as I say, you don't feel comfortable in the space, but you also don't feel like you really know what's going on at any point. It's really unclear because it has this non-linear narrative that jumps about in time who are you currently playing as? That's an idea that it, it's it sort of leans into at different times, and it goes from moments of moments of kind of extreme tension to moments of horror uh, to, to moments of like just out and out horror to moments of levity to moments of feeling really really creepy. There's one really great line. There's always I I always get excited about video games when there's always like a line that I think oh that's smart there's a line in this game where you you're you're traveling and it's you're, you've been traveling on this really long road and um this whole this really long sequence is basically just you trying to almost desert bus it along this road like just trying to keep on the on the road right mm-hmm. um and you listen to this kind of gibberish on the radio station you pull into this service station and you um, and you have to fuel up. I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a line in there where, <laughs> where the person who who runs the gas station asks you a question, and it is unbelievably unnerving. And yeah. I literally 
had to pan my camera around to check about what this person was asking me because I was now brought, I was kind of, it, it comes at just the right time when you're like, who am I playing as? Where am I? What am I meant to be doing now? Is this, is this, what, what is the environment? What should I be feeling threatened right now? And this one question just imme immediately made my, made my uh, blood run cold. It was really smart. Interestingly, in that moment, I didn't pin, pan the camera. I didn't know I could. But I think part of me was just like, mm. I don't want to see. <laughs> right. Like, I'm just going to look straight ahead. And just as my character would, as my character naturally replied, oh, yeah. Oh, OK. Um, so the, the, the reason that the reason that I kind of I'm thrilled about it is, as I say, it does bring something original, but it also harkens back visually, but also tonally to Silent Hill. And that's a series that has not really been, and it's not the same, but it's as smart as Silent Hill. And that's what I think I mm. really, really loved about Paratopic. It feels smart. It feels like, and it, and, it, and it isn't doing it in a sort of like, it isn't doing it in this like, this is a metaphor kind of a way. Or like, aren't we clever because we know a literary reference? It doesn't do it in that way. Instead, it's smart in terms of the way that it it pieces out the way that it does its storytelling. You by the end of by the end of the game, you can feel I felt so nervous that when when there was just a jump cut to a perfectly peaceful scene, it just scared the heck out of me. It was just I was walking mm -hmm. down this thing and then suddenly a jump cut. And there's no nobody's jumped out of a bush, there's no dog flying through windows or anything silly like that. But just the change in perspective was enough to make me go, Jesus, like, it's really clever. That was another episode of Staying In uh, with Sam Turner, Dan Frost, Peter Wellington and myself, Chris Darby. Just want to echo Pete's words there and just shout out again to Adamski, Wise Goldfish and Matthew Dunstan. Thanks so much for taking the time to get in touch with us and thank you very much for your kind words. Uh, really do appreciate that. It's really, really lovely. Um, as I've probably said before, I do this because I get to hang out with these wonderful people who I love to pieces and it's just so lovely that people really like that, that kind of atmosphere we foster here. That's really, really lovely to hear. So thanks for that. And if you uh, want to get in touch with a listener at all, uh, there are many different ways you can do so. Uh, Stayinginpodcast at gmail.com is a popular one. Uh, also, you can kind of DM us via various different feeds. Um, at stayinginpod is where you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all these areas. And we're not necessarily fishing for compliments, but if there's a question you want to ask or something you want to recommend maybe you think we'd like this then just get in touch that'd be great and and uh yeah always looking always keen to find the next thing really um you know one of the reasons again i love recording these podcasts is is you know <laughs> i can hear uh, my mates recommend me stuff it's great really so uh if you're interested in digging deeper into some of the games we talked about today we've got a steam curation page where all of the kind of digital games we talk about are archived there with our reviews and likewise we also have a board game geek page where we do the same for our board games uh, there's also a website which captures everything together staying in podcast.com 
and uh, oh gosh, yes, my own little labour of love, our Spotify page, uh, where and thanks to those who followed it, uh, where anything we talk about on the pod, which has a a kind of a soundtrack related to it, um, it'll go in our little playlists, and they're all around different kind of themes or motifs, or different kind of moods or energies. So strong brew, for example, is more energetic and overdramatic the with sugar playlist is a little bit lighter and frothier and a bit ridiculous the chamomile is very relaxed uh, almost spa like music and the chilled iced tea one is just those very chilled kind of tunes really so it's a different flavor for all these different kinds of moods really and we're really kind of stretching this tea metaphor as much as we possibly can so if that interests you, you can head over to our Spotify page and there are links in the show notes list in terms of how you get to that. But other than that, um, stay safe. Thank you very much. And if you're in the UK, um, hopefully the storms will have abated by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> and yeah, take care and see you in two weeks. Bye.